Earlier this year, in the month of July, the Associated Press did a random survey of U.S. adults, and they asked questions about the supernatural. And I was so intrigued to see this week, as I looked over that survey and some of its results, that 70, a full 70% random survey of Americans believe firmly in angels. And what's more, a full 80% of Americans believe that there are things that happen to us in this life that cannot be explained by science or natural causes. I then began to read online uh, a number of stories by people all around the world, not just in America, but people who have had encounters that they just cannot explain. Some of them will send chills up your back. Uh, virtually all of them are very, very encouraging stories, stories that essentially people cannot explain unless, unless there was some kind of supernatural being involved. Now, we're in a series for Advent that I'm calling Angels Among Us. And what we're doing, if you're new with us today, is we're kind of peeking into the Bible at some of the stories around Christmas, that first Christmas, where angels were involved. Because you see, the Bible gives people of faith, true followers of Jesus, a very encouraging message about angels. Here's what it says about them. It says, they are ministering spirits sent out by God to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. In other words, those who are true disciples, true followers of Jesus Christ. And so today, today let's continue in this. I want us to explore another one of these amazing stories. First, we looked at the story of how the angel Gabriel came to the old priest Zechariah in the temple. Then just last week, uh, we looked at how Gabriel gave this incredible announcement to this unassuming, humble peasant girl named Mary and told her that she was highly favored of God and would be the the mother of the Messiah, Jesus our Lord. But today, I'm gonna look at a, a third story in the whole Christmas event. I wanna explore the angel's appearance to Joseph. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us a whole lot about this guy. In fact, you may be amazed to hear that if you look at the record closely, we don't have a single word recorded out of Joseph's mouth, not a single syllable, in fact. And yet, he's one of my heroes in the story because his character is so stellar, his char character shines so brightly that we can learn a lot of lessons from this man. So join with me now. We're gonna pick up the story in Matthew's gospel, chapter one. We're gonna start here in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. What a dilemma Joseph was in. Think about it. Here he is 
betrothed to this young woman that he loves, and she is pregnant. And he knows for sure that he is not the father of that child. What would you do in that situation? It's an incredible dilemma, but it gets even more interesting because she has this strange story about an angel appearing to her and telling her that it's gonna be a miraculous pregnancy, one conceived by the Holy Spirit. Would you have believed her? I gotta be honest, based on the evidence, I've got so far, I would not. And frankly, Joseph didn't believe her either. You see, you gotta understand, the bottom of his world has just fallen out. He had so many hopes and dreams, so much trust in Mary, and now he is utterly disappointed and disillusioned. Because not only is she pregnant, but as far as, as, far as he is concerned, she's lying about how it, it happened. That raises an interesting question because you know, Christmas is, is not all giggles and goosebumps, is it? Uh, Christmas, every psychologist, every therapist, every sociologist who studies this phenomenon will tell you Christmas is one of the most distressful times of the year emotionally for many people, right? It's a time when substance abuse is at an all-time high, depression soars during Christmas, suicide rates go up. It's unbelievable. So how do you deal on top of all that natural sort of malaise, how do you deal with heartbreak and disappointment? Do you go online and look up 10 tips for dealing with a broken heart? I mean, is that what you do? Do you, do you draw the curtains and kind of pine alone in the darkness? Do you go on social media and kind of broadcast how badly you've been hurt? Or do you get mean-spirited, perhaps, and try to get revenge? Oh, these are, these are common ways that people deal with their disappointment and their broken heart. But, but here's where Joseph shines so brightly. He was utterly devastated but he had tremendous character and he wasn't about to try to take this out on Mary. Look at what verse 19 says. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now look at these words. It mentions divorce here. You go, wait a minute. I didn't think they were married, but it calls him her husband, and it mentions divorce. Let's explain that. You see, betrothal in that day was a lot stronger, a lot more binding than an engagement is for us in our culture. To break a betrothal was exactly like getting a divorce. And so Joseph's world has fallen apart but he's decided that, look, the, the best I can do is, is just try to make this go away, try to do it kind of under the radar and try to rebuild my broken world. But that's when it happened. Ah, that's when it happened. It was the last thing he probably expected. But one night, 
an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream. Now, I want you to notice two things, two things about this angelic appearance that are different than the ones we've studied the last couple of weeks. First, this angel is not named. It just says in the text, an angel of the Lord. It might have been Gabriel. We honestly don't know. And the second thing that's different about this is that it came in a dream. And the previous two stories we've studied, you see, the angel appeared to people who were very much awake and dialogue even happened. But this one, Joseph is soundly asleep and this dream comes. Now, if you're new to the Bible, you may wonder, well, how, how common is that kind of thing? Well, it's interesting. If you study God's usage of dreams in Scripture, it's a pretty frequent thing that God spoke to people and revealed things to people through dreams. Uh, you, you can look this up and look it up in a concordance or other tools that will help you explore Scripture. But one of the best known examples is way back in Genesis where God appeared to a man named Jacob who was kind of on the run at the time and in rebellion against God. And God got his attention through a dream. He was sound asleep one night and he had a dream of angels ascending and descending on a ladder that stretched from earth to heaven. <laughs> Several years ago, I... Uh, saw a conference advertised, and I was interested because the conference was advertised as a prophecy conference. And I was kind of interested in that topic, and I decided to go. It was at a reputable church in New England, and so I signed up, registered, drove to the conference. But, but I was amazed that it was kind of false advertising because the whole conference really wasn't about prophecy. It was really about dreams, and so the whole thing was about how God still uses dreams as a primary, not a secondary or tertiary, but a primary means of communication today. Now, I don't wanna be a cynic. I don't wanna be a cynic. I'm not a cynic. And God can communicate any way he chooses. But I think, I think, we need to be a little careful with that, right? I think we need to be careful about interpreting our dreams as necessarily special revelations from God. I mean, it may just be the pepperoni, right? You ate that night, for all you know. Um, most of the time, dreams are simply our subconscious, subliminally trying to resolve situations in our lives. Do you have dreams that recur, maybe? I typically don't remember my dreams, but I have one dream. I'll tell you about it. It, it, it. I've had this dream dozens of times. And I am scheduled to speak in a football stadium. And it's been advertised and the place is jammed. I mean, every seat is taken. People are actually walking around looking for seats and music is playing and, and this service is going on. And I'm scheduled to speak there, but I'm outside the stadium and can't get in. And I am sweating. The pressure is building and building. And try as I may, I just cannot get inside this stadium. 
I go to one of the gates, but security won't let me through. I say, guys, I'm supposed to be down there speaking. Yeah, we've heard that one before. And they send me away. And so I try to sneak in through an opening in the fence, but it leads to a dead end. And I have to go back outside again, the stadium, and I'm getting more pressured by the moment. And my heart is beating and I'm going, what am I going to do? And meanwhile, I can hear everything you're saying on the platform, every word. You know how weird dreams are weird like that. They don't make logical sense, but I can hear everything the MC is saying. Has anybody seen him? Where is he? We're never going to invite him again. What are we going to do? And so they keep playing more songs and keep trying to ad lib on the platform. And meanwhile, I'm sweating bullets as I'm trying to get inside the stadium. And finally, my heart pounding. I'm exhausted. I am so frustrated. I finally wake up and realize, oh, it's only a dream. I've had that dream at least 50 times. Now, if any of you are a therapist, I need your help. I think that has to do with my natural anxieties associated with public speaking. And my mind is working subliminally on that. But again, if you are a therapist, maybe you can tell me how messed up I truly am. I hope you can at least. But this dream of Joseph was different. It was divine revelation. This wasn't some neurosis being worked out. It was a real angelic visitation, and the angel made several announcements. Let's look at some of them. Verse 20, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. In other words, Joseph, you were right initially in your assessment of Mary. She is a person of tremendous character, So don't worry about your reputation. Don't be fretting about your future. God is using both you and Mary to work out his plan because you are his servants. But the angel went on to say in verse 21, she will give birth to a son. Now, modern ultrasound equipment can tell parents early in a pregnancy what the gender of that child is. Is But here, 2,000 years ago, with no such equipment, this angel accurately predicts that Mary is giving birth to a son. But he goes on, verse 21, and you're to give him the name Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. You know, it amazes me how young parents choose names for their children. It, it, isn't this interesting? I mean, some of them spend hours, days, dialoguing and talking about what name are we gonna name our child? So I looked it up. You know the most popular names in 2023? It, it's interesting. The most popular girl names, number one name, Olivia. Olivia. Number two, Emma. Number three, Amelia. Those are the top three most popular girl names in 2023. And for boys, the number one name is Noah, second, Liam, and third, Oliver. 
But parent, young parents are asking all these questions like, do we want to go with a traditional name? Do we, do we want to go with a unique name, one that maybe nobody's ever heard of? We'll start a new trend, right? Or do we want to honor a family member by giving that name? Or do we want to just get completely out of the box and do what Frank Zappa did back in the 60s and name his kids Dweezil and Moon Unit? I mean, those are names right there, right? Pretty unusual, out of the box, not a family name, I'd say. What are we gonna do? And, and, and what, about the, what about the nicknames? So they consider all the nicknames that this name could possibly carry with it in the future. And is this a name that's gonna grow with the child? And all these, all these questions. And one of the big questions is, would I want someone to name me this? Would I want this name that I am choosing? I have a pretty unusual name, Rex. I don't meet many people named Rex. Occasionally I do, and we usually actually have a moment together because there's just not a lot of people named Rex around. It means king in Latin. I'm sure my mother didn't know that when she, when she named me Rex, and she told me once, here's how she named me. There was a radio preacher, this is the truth, folks, a radio preacher, I don't know his last name, but his first name was Rex, and she kind of liked his preaching. And so she named me Rex. How's that for choosing a name? But this name, the angel gave to Joseph, speaks of the purpose of Jesus. The angel said, his name will be Jesus. That name means savior. And I want you to know today that the only way that we really know the meaning of Christmas is when not when we look at the manger, but when we look at the cross. Because Jesus didn't just tell us, come to tell us how to be better people ethically. He didn't come with some banal message about the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of humanity. The main message of Jesus was contained in his mission. What was his mission? His mission was to die an atoning death on the cross for my sins and yours so that we could be forgiven and saved eternally. That's why he came. That, hey, if you, don't, if you don't understand that, you're missing the whole point of Christmas. Christmas was a rescue mission. That's why Jesus came into this world. Listen to what he said in John chapter 12. Jesus, now this is on the very week, this is the very week of his passion, the very week he was going to the cross. He knows it's close. He knows what's coming. And here's what he said. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, no. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. The reason he's speaking of is his death on the cross. So it's only through the cross, let me say it again, that we see the ultimate meaning of the manger. Sometimes on a Christmas card, you'll see a star. And you'll see that star on the Christmas card and it'll be sort of shining in the shape of a cross. 
And that is a reminder that Jesus was born to die for the sins of the world. Well, the story goes on here in verse 22. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin, this is a quote, by the way, from Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14, which was given hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus actually came into the world. Prophecy is a powerful thing, folks. It's one of the greatest evidences of the inspiration of God's holy word, the fact that so many things were prophesied hundreds of years before they happened. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, God was on top of it. From the very first time humanity sinned in the garden, God announced early on what he was gonna do. This is incredible. You wanna know the earliest prophecy of Jesus coming? Genesis chapter three, verse 15. And God announced all the way back then, just after humanity had fallen into sin and that entered the human experience, he talked about how that eventually the seed of the woman would come, it's a reference to Jesus, and he would crush the head of the serpent, Satan. And all of those centuries later, all of those centuries later, Finally, in the fullness of time, it happened precisely, precisely as God had predicted. Well, I think I told you that to me, Joseph is a heroic figure in this story. He really is. I'm so impressed with his immediate obedience to what God was revealing through this angel. He did not delay in his obedience. This is a big lesson for us. He promptly acted, verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. And actually, when you read the whole story, there are three occasions where angels appear to Joseph. One is the one we're studying right now. And then several days later, an angel comes to him and says, look, Herod is trying to kill all the babies in Bethlehem, flee to Egypt. And Joseph didn't even wait until morning. He took his family and he headed toward Egypt, again, obeying immediately. And then two years later, while they're living in Egypt, an angel comes to Joseph and says, the threat back home is over. You can go back to Palestine now without fear. And Joseph again did exactly what the angel had instructed. By the way, here's just a question. Don't blurt out your answer. When God makes something clear to you through his word, when he impresses a truth on you that maybe you hadn't understood before, how long does it take for you to act on that? It's a question we need to all ask, honestly, because one of the indicators of the condition, the spiritual health of our own soul is how promptly we obey God's commands. Joseph is so impressive. I mean, he immediately acts. He doesn't delay in his obedience. And then in verse 25, we read, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son 
and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, what does all of this mean for us today? I got a confession to make to you because of all the people involved and all of our production and everything and everyone who needs to get ready, both with music and all kinds of other things and videos. We, we declare our sermon titles weeks and weeks, sometimes months in advance. And so months ago, <laughs> I gave a title to this and I gave it the title, God Works Through Disappointment. And that's an awfully good title, don't you think? Come on, come on, it's a good title. It's a great title. And, and here's what I thought, thank you so much. Here's what I thought. I thought, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna explore this story with everybody and I'm gonna talk about God takes our disappointments in life and just like he took Joseph's disappointment, he brought good out of it and he does the same in our lives and I hope you know that that lesson is true. I hope you know that. If you're disappointed today, if you've got some deep disillusionment, just like Joseph had, if you continue to faithfully yield your life to Christ, do what you know to do. I'm gonna tell you, God's gonna work through your disappointment and he's gonna eventually bring about good on your behalf. I hope you know that lesson is true, okay? But that's not the lesson today. Because I just couldn't go that direction. I thought, you know what? That's just a little too cute for a message with this much gravity. So I gotta, I gotta crank it up just a little bit. God wouldn't let me go there. I need to ask you a personal question. Because some of you, frankly, we only see you about two times a year, Christmas and Easter. You're a creaster, I get it, all right? You're, you come to church a couple of times a year, maybe four or five, whether you need it or not. All right, cool, all right. But I need to ask you, are you saved? Amen. Have your sins been forgiven by his grace and are you currently in a saving relationship with the living God? Here's why that's so important. Because according to God's word, all of us, all of us are either under God's wrath or we're under God's grace. Let me explain that just for a moment. You see, because of my sin, and I'm a, sin both, a sinner both by nature and by practice, because of my sin, I lived for years under God's wrath. And here's what the Bible says about that. In Romans 6, 23, it says, for the wages of sin is death. So by nature and by practice, I'm under the wrath of God because of my sin. I'm breaking God's laws constantly, big ways, little ways. And frankly, when I was under God's wrath, I didn't care that I was breaking God's laws. And the penalty of my sin was death. I was alienated from God because of my sin, because that's what death means in any language. It means separation, separation. And so I was separated from God. And can I tell you, I was drifting farther and farther away from God as the years went by. I was literally, you may think I'm being dramatic, but I'm not. I'm telling you the truth. I was literally under a death sentence because of my sin. But one day, many years ago, I stopped resisting God's grace. I stopped. He got my attention. 
I repented of my sin. I stopped rebelling against God and I surrendered my life to him. And here's what happened. This is important. I went from being under the wrath of God to under the grace of God. This is the most important message you could hear, folks, at Christmas. And until our sins are forgiven, we're all under a death sentence. God is just and sin cannot go unpunished. So why Jesus came into the world is so that he could go to the cross and on the cross, he took the punishment and he paid the penalty that I deserve to pay. But that doesn't happen automatically. That doesn't automatically apply to me. It only applies when I personally, intentionally acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I'm completely unable to save myself. I repent of my sin. I turn from it. I humbly accept Jesus' death as the full payment for my sin debt. And what I'm asking you is, have you ever done that? You see, we've learned some cool things about angels in this series so far. that They're sent out. This is so encouraging to serve those who've done that, who are no longer under the wrath of God, but are under the grace of God. Then the angels are there as your allies, baby. They're there to serve you. But hear the other part, because it's not all comfort. For those who stubbornly refuse to accept God's gift of salvation, there will ultimately be vengeance. And here's the thing that may shock you. If all you've ever seen is little figurines of angels that are cute little cherubs with chubby cheeks, that isn't the full story with angels. They're also there to deal out retribution and wrath and vengeance. We first see this really back in Egypt where the destroyer, that's the name used in Exodus, the destroyer, Exodus chapter 12, comes and wreaks wrath and vengeance over everyone who's under the wrath of God and does not have the blood covering their home. Those with the blood are under the grace of God Those who don't have that blood are under the wrath of God and the angel, the destroyer, comes and kills all the firstborn. And a similar thing, a similar thing is gonna happen in the future. Oh, there's so many questions around this. We don't have time to explore it all, but Revelation chapter 16 gives you an example of how the Lord sends out seven different angels to go and pour his wrath out on the earth. And this is, This is coming one day in the future. Nobody knows when. And can I just share with you what it says? Now, it says the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land and ugly and painful sores broke out of the people who had the mark of the beast and worshiped his image. The second angel went and poured out his bowl on the sea and it turned into blood like that of a dead man every living thing in the sea died. The third angel went and poured out his bowl. These are bowls of wrath, by the way, of God. On the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. The fourth angel went and poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was given power to scorch people with fire, and they were seared by the intense heat. 
but they cursed the name of God. Think of that. All this is happening. World is falling apart and people are still in their rebellion against God, so defiant that they're cursing God because of all these plagues. The fifth angel went and poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom was plunged into darkness and men gnawed their tongues in agony because of their pains and their sores, but they refused still to repent of what they had done. The sixth angel went and poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and the water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And then finally, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. It was cataclysmic. (laughs) And a loud voice from the throne said, it is done, finished. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever appeared, ever occurred since man has been on the earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great city split into three parts and the cities of the nations collapsed. And God remembered Babylon the great, stands for all the evil of the world. He gave her the cup here, Babylon. Filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath, every island fled away and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones of about a hundred pounds each fell upon men and they cursed God on account of the plague of hail because the plague was so terrible. Are you under the wrath of God, or in the grace of God. Do you really want to mess around and be nonchalant with God when that kind of wrath awaits? And the angels, the angels are behind the carrying out of that destruction. But, but, on the other hand, Jesus Christ came to save us from the consequences of God's wrath, to save us eternally. And when we're under his grace, because by faith we've placed our trust in Christ and his atoning death on the cross, the angels are not there to destroy us, but to serve us. And they serve us in this life, but they also serve us by taking us into the presence of God when we die. That's what happened with Lazarus, by the way. You know when he died? It says the angels came, ushered him right to Abraham's side. It's just into God's presence. In March of 2006, Anthony Berger died at the early age of 44. He, I don't know if you know that name, but if you're familiar with gospel music, like Gaither music and all that, he's considered one of the greatest piano players who's ever lived. And he spent most of the last decade of his life playing for the Gaither Vocal Band. In March of 2006, he was on a cruise in the Caribbean. There were over 1,500 people on the cruise and people would vacation in the daytime. And every night there was a gospel concert where Anthony Berger would just thrill 
the audience with his playing, just a wonderful follower of Christ. He had a massive heart attack. Just after playing a stirring piano solo, he died instantly while seated at the piano and everyone on the cruise was naturally distraught. Becky Pippert, popular Christian author and speaker, was on the cruise and she was leading a Bible study in the morning times. And so the next morning, she was to address the Bible study, but before she started, she was gonna plan to comfort everyone in light of Anthony's death. And she said a woman came up to her before the Bible study began, and she said, I've gotta tell you what happened last night. And Becky said, now look, I've had a lot of strange people come up to me through the years with unusual requests, but usually they want the microphone. Usually they just want the limelight. But she said, this woman wasn't like that at all. She didn't even wanna be recognized. She was a humble, stable, sound-minded servant of God. She had a very godly spirit, and she said, after Anthony Berger played that number last night and the spotlight went to the other side of the stage, she said, for some reason, for some reason, I kept my eyes on him, she said. I had this strong impression that the Lord was saying, I'm gonna show you something right now in my realm for the blessing of others. And suddenly there appeared behind Anthony this angel. He looked to be seven feet tall. He kind of had white and gold, and he put a hand on Anthony's shoulder, and the pianist looked up just momentarily, and then he slumped over and immediately died. And just literally five minutes earlier, he had played his last song, which was, ironically, We Shall Behold Him. Now, you may choose not to believe that woman's testimony. There's certainly a lot of false claims out there, and it's not in the Bible, so you don't have to believe it. But you know what? I believe her testimony. And I believe that occasionally God gives us an encouraging glimpse into his glory to stoke our faith and encourage us. And when Lazarus died, the angels came and carried him to Abraham's side. That's just another way to talk about the presence of God in heaven. And if you're a true believer today, Jesus made this promise to you that you can totally depend on. He said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. So here's the bottom line. Most important question that I could ever ask you during this Christmas season, where do you stand with God? At this very moment, are you under the wrath of God or under his grace? Would you pray with me, please, as we wrap up in transition? Before I pray, let me just ask you a couple of questions. If you're here right now listening to my voice, wherever you are, whatever campus, whether you're listening online, if in hearing this message and God has been speaking to you, you can say, I am not confident that I'm under the grace of God. I'm not confident 
that I really know Jesus and have a saving relationship. I'm not confident of that. I may, I'm just not confident of that today. I don't know that. Would you just slip your hand up as a way to indicate? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Lots of hands. Thank you. Anybody else just before we pray? Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Now, one other question before I pray. Are you, has God brought you to a place? I can't do this for you. You can't, you can't just up and decide on your own. God has to bring you to the place. Have you been brought to the place by the Lord where you're ready to repent of your sin and truly yield your life to him? Truly surrender your life to him. Just again, by a show of hands, could I see your hand if that's you? Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. We're going to pray right now briefly. I'm going to ask you to just open and sur surrender your heart to Christ. He's the only one who can save. Jesus is the Savior. He's the only one. If he's brought you to this point, would you open your heart to him? Dear Lord Jesus, Thank you for paying my sin debt so I could be forgiven. Just say that to the Lord. Please forgive me. I repent of my sin. I surrender my life to you. I want to follow you from this day forward. Father, you know those that truly belong to you. You know those who've truly transitioned right in this moment from being under the wrath of God to under your grace. Thank you that you will seal them, keep them, save them to the othermost, and bring them into your presence one day. I give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we give God some praise today? Let's give him some praise. Thanks be to God. He is so good. He is so good.